As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Astonishing Legends would like to thank Best Fiends, Simply Safe, The Great Courses Plus, The Books Company, our contributors at Patreon.com, and you, our listeners, for making tonight's show possible. I know Forrest usually reads our cold open, but tonight's episode touches on something very personal to me, so I decided to take the lead with it. As many of you know, in late July of 2018, the Astonishing Legends team visited the Sally House in Atchison, Kansas, while we were in town for an event on Amelia Earhart. Most of you have heard our series on that visit, and even if you haven't, I'm sure you've heard us speak about it on the show. When we were there, we had so much on our plate that it seemed we wouldn't get a chance to go by the house, and I had relegated it to the bin of missed opportunities when we heard unexpectedly from our new acquaintance and now friend, Maria Miller, the tourism director for Atchison. She called to let us know that she had the keys to the Sally House, which, frankly, I think she always has, and if we were available, she'd be happy to meet us over there and give us a quick tour. The timing was right, and it seemed like an opportunity for us to explore something that we never should have considered skipping since we were in such close proximity to it for a full week anyway. To this day, I don't fully understand why my mind came to accept the idea of blowing off going there. We do a podcast about strange and unusual things, I honestly can't imagine what I was thinking. How could I have become so apathetic about this house while we were right there at it? Well, as I said before in our series on it, I firmly believe the Sally House had other plans. It wasn't going to let a potential moment in the spotlight pass by, and it didn't. What happened to our team there has already been thoroughly detailed, and I'm still not sure how to interpret the events of that day. When I think about the experience that our producer Tess had while she was there, I feel like it was probably a lot scarier than what happened to me. The reality is, I can feel the part of myself that is in denial about that house. The part of myself that hasn't listened to the EVP in eight months. And the part of myself that can't seem to undertake further digital analysis of what we call File 10. I know this is hard to believe, considering how much we talked about it, but there's a lot more to my personal experience at that house that no one will ever hear. And I have to believe that's true for anyone that goes there and has something happen to them. That's why I was on the fence about revisiting it for tonight's episode. This show could have been done three months ago. It took me until now to get mentally prepared for it. Don't worry, we're not going to play File 10 again. You can find it on our YouTube channel if you're so inclined. Tonight's show is not about us or our experience at the Sally House. It's about someone else's. Just under a year ago, we were contacted by a prominent radio show. The Dave Glover Show is the number one rated afternoon talk show in St. Louis, Missouri, 
Dave's producer, Rachel, had reached out to us via email last May to let us know that Dave and his team were fans of Astonishing Legends. And every week they have a show segment called Paranormal Wednesday, for which they'd like to have us on. Dave wanted to discuss the Patterson-Gimlin series. We've been on several times since then, and we're pleased to say that Dave and Rachel are now good friends of ours. Like us, these guys look for something with a little extra oomph to cover at Halloween. And in part due to our series on the Sally House, they decided they were gonna go to Atchison, Kansas for themselves and check it out. After all, for them, it was just a five hour drive. And not only did they go there, but they took cameras along. And what happened to them, and Dave mainly, is shocking. Not to discount the experiences of the rest of their team, which were also extremely disconcerting. For me, Dave's story is just the sort of thing that seems to creep back into my world at the exact moment that I'm on the precipice of disbelieving my own personal experience at the Sally House. Dave Glover's experience there and its connection to his own past is intensely personal. So take some time to sit down and absorb this one tonight because it's really quite something to have it shared with our listeners. And it demonstrates that the Sally House is far more complex than just one individual's personal experience. Welcome back to Astonishing Legends. I'm Scott Philbrook, and this is Forrest Burgess. We left the room and we turned the lights out. We put all the stuffed animals back and we headed down the stairs. When we got to the bottom of the stairs and looked back up, the light was back on. Tony Pickman, former resident of the Sally House, referring to the nursery there during our interview with him in October 2018. Join us tonight when we talk to St. Louis talk radio host Dave Glover and his producer Rachel Zimmerman about their recent experiences at the Sally House. And we're back. Ah, we are back, folks. Thanks for joining us. I can't believe we're already into the second month of 2020. If you want time to fly, start a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's not flying. It's all one long now. You got to get zen about it. It it just seems like we've been recording for the last five years, one long episode with 167 different topics. Indeed. In the same conversation, yes. Well, we got a good show tonight, but it's been a while since we gave a shout out to our friend Rob Christofferson over at Our Strange Skies. And I wanted to do that because just the other day I was driving to visit my mom. And along the way, I actually got a chance to listen to somebody else's podcast instead of constantly having to QC our own. And uh, Rob has a show called Our Strange Skies. We've mentioned it here before. And he just released a super fascinating episode on one of the most infamous UFO encounters of all time, the story of Lonnie Zamora. Lonnie was a Socorro, New Mexico police officer who came in contact with some strange UFO in 1964, and that encounter remains unexplained to this day and is considered one of the more unimpeachable accounts that there are in the history of ufology. So it's a pretty cool story. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Lonnie Zamora, very credible witness, police officer for a long time, and the way he comes across in his interviews is... He's a no-nonsense kind of guy, and I think all of that wrapped together is why Rob refers to Lonnie Zamora as his spirit animal. You'll have to have have Rob explain that one uh, when you listen to the show, but that's been one of his numerous Twitter handles, I think. But yes, it's a great story, and Rob is the man to tell it. So if you want to hear the real details about one of the more credible sightings and episodes with physical evidence left on the police car, go find that episode, which just dropped a few days ago. 
Yeah, I thought I knew a lot about this case, but there is so much more to it. And honestly, the fishiest part of the story is how the authorities handled the aftermath of it. That's where it gets really weird. So anyway, find Our Strange Skies and check it out. Well, we have a pretty interesting show ourselves tonight, I think. A really interesting account that will probably give you chills. It did us. And we want to get to it here pretty quickly. But we also wanted to let you know that we're in the production phase of the second season of the Midnight Library. And for those of you who enjoy that show, it will be returning the weekend of April 3rd. And that will be 13 episodes instead of eight like the first season was. Uh, Yeah, so keep your ears open for that. And if you haven't subscribed already, find it in your favorite podcast aggregator and subscribe there. All right, let's dive into the darkness. Uh, Before we get started here, I just want to say that there is a rainstorm here where I'm recording today. We're actually not in the same place today. And if you hear the rain in the background, that's what that is. It's very faint, but uh, we'll see if our editor can work any wonders on it. But Well, I can hear it. I'm actually hiding in your attic. (laughs) Where it's a lot louder. It's a lot louder. (laughs) That's true. That doesn't make any sense. I tell you what, when it comes to the Sally House... I got to be honest, and Forrest, you and I didn't talk about this a whole lot because we've both been so busy with other stuff, but... We also wanted to keep it fresh, yeah, the yeah, discussion here. Yeah. yeah, I was not really necessarily on board with revisiting it. Hmm. I thought I was. I mean, I really wanted to talk to Dave. I love Dave, and yeah. you guys will figure out why. He's such a great guy, and we enjoy talking to him and Rachel as well. But I didn't necessarily want to go back to the Sally House in my mind just yet. Let me ask you this. Was it your mind or was it, as I now, it's now a thing with me. Is it your gut? Is it your gut feeling? What was it internally that gave you that feeling like, I don't know if I want to do this. Is it just the mental aspect of it and thinking about what you did or do you get a physical sensation? It's, yeah, it's the mental stuff. I don't get a physical sensation. All the stuff that followed me home, or I like to say followed me home after we left there, Yeah, that's gone away. And I guess what I am worried about is drawing its attention again. I see. I don't want to do that. So, yeah. (laughs) but by the same token, I felt like this story was important and people are always asking us about doing follow-ups and we want to do more of those in the coming years, this year as well. Yeah. And this seemed like a good way to follow up on this story and on the Sally House in general. We hadn't talked about it in a while. So I'm glad that it happened this way. But when we sat down to do it, I was still feeling reluctance, I guess. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know what I would feel going back into the house other than maybe more anticipatory of something happening, but who knows? The one thing I want to say, why I thought this interview was great and a great opportunity that kind of popped up for us is that it's a rare experience to have something that significant happen. And I don't think that people fully understand that. A lot do who study this paranormal field and genre and have done ghost hunts themselves. But I still keep seeing that comment in reviews and, you know, when people were talking about how they went to some place that was really supposed to be haunted. And and yeah, a lot of these things turn into tourist traps. But at the root of it, there is something there. Otherwise, you just can't claim a, a Pinkberry is haunted and start charging tickets if nothing happens. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? There's got to be some kind of draw there. And people just think like, well, hey, I paid my 20 bucks and I didn't get spooked. Nothing happened to me. And they're disappointed and they're upset that they think their money was not well spent. But really an experience like that, especially something that's that emotionally significant, is very rare still. We've only been to a few haunted, quote unquote, places ourselves so far. And I've recently, like as of last year, investigated a few more. 
so what I'll say about a lot of these famously haunted places is that a lot of little things happen that are kind of unexplained. A motion sensor goes off while you're looking at a security camera and there's nothing there. Small things happen, but nothing this emotionally gripping. Yeah. That goes right to your core being. And that's why this interview here is, I thought was really compelling and kind of grabs you. Yeah, I want to talk about the difference in the experiences after the interview, but there definitely is something going on there. And the other thing for me is, I just got no point. It's been about a year and a half since this happened. And in some ways, it's weird. It feels a lot longer. It feels like two or three years to me. But that's probably cause, just because we were working all the time. But in another way, it also feels like a few weeks ago, which is, I guess, what you can say about any significant event in your life. But I was just getting to a point, even though I knew we were planning to do this in the early part of 2020, to talk to Dave. They've had this stuff in the can. This story happened to them last Halloween. So we could have talked to them at that point. But, and I'll talk more about why it took this long to get around to it in a minute, but I feel like I was just getting to a point where I was like, you know what? I really overreacted. And <laughs> I think the circumstances probably weren't as crazy as I thought they were, even though I, there's no part of me that can explain what's on that digital recorder with regard to the EVP. Yeah. But then I started thinking about it and I started thinking about, but what about Tess? Tess had something like move her hair away from her ear and whisper into her ear. Right. And the more I think about that, the more I think that's worse than what happened to me or us with the recording. So I guess you think, and that's what you do when you start to get past it. You think, oh, you know what? I overreact. That was just, I went too far with it. I don't know. And then you hear the story, like the one that Dave's about to tell, and Rachel and also the other members of their team had some strange things happen. And you think, nope, that's, I was right to be freaked out. And guess what? I'm freaked out again. You know, that's, and I always go back to like the idiocy of my early statement when we started the show saying, nothing's ever happened to me. And that's why I'm doing this. And now I'm like two years on the backside of the happening. And I'm like, why did I ask for that? No, I think it would be sillier perhaps if you said, nothing will ever happen to me. And that declarative statement, like, I think I've made myself. Mm -hmm. And just because nothing that exciting ever does happen to me. You saw a ghost in a baseball cap at Waverly. I guess I did. <laughs> I guess I have to accept that. And then something else happened recently, which I think we'll talk on an upcoming show here, which was another thing where you just, there's a bunch of us sitting around a dinner table and um, an object reacts and everybody goes, oh, look at that. That's, yeah. That shouldn't have happened. That's interesting. And you just kind of mull it over in your head. But I believe that it's possible. So my point to you is that you didn't get scratched. You didn't have a sensation. Megan, our good friend Megan W., she had kind of a sensation on her arm, if you remember. I do. And a bit of shortness of breath. And she had to sit down for a bit. And again, scratches didn't appear, but her forearm did look a little bit red. Very minor things. That's why I was saying before, like minor things happen. Nothing really struck me. But what struck you the most, other than you didn't hear a voice, but you had your reason rocked. Yeah. You had your sense of possibilities now shaken up. And that's my point here. If you heard a disembodied voice like, Scott, get out. Yeah, you would have been shook too. And rightfully, you would have ran out of the house. But it didn't take anything physical, like a scratch or your hair got pulled or you heard a voice. You heard some audio that opened up all these other possibilities now that you probably didn't consider before. 
And that's just as upsetting. I, I totally get that. Yeah. And I was in that position. Yeah. I don't want to harp on this too long because we already did 15 hours on it, but I- <laughs> Let's make it 16. I'll just remind people that, you know, what we're talking about is an EVP that we got on a digital recorder. For those of you that might be new to the show or haven't heard those episodes about the Sally House, just look it up, S-A-L-L-I-E, not Y. But the other thing was that, <laughs> in a way, in hindsight, it's kind of funny. Funniest thing is I was holding the recorder up to my ear. We had left it alone in this room to try and hear what I thought would be a faint, like, whisper, like, I, you know, bring me a toy or something. <laughs> and it turned out to be this really aggressive, enraged kind of screaming, yelling thing. Although some people have said since then that, no, it's not really enraged. It's just having a hard time using the recorder correctly. And then, of course, there's people who say, oh, it's the recorder itself, which I have the hardest time with because it's a digital recorder. And we had it analyzed by a forensic audiologist, one of the top ones in the country. He couldn't figure out what was doing it. And it's the nature of the sound is very analog. It doesn't sound like a digital problem. So anyway, that's for other episodes we've already done. But my point is just, mm -hmm. I was completely caught off guard. I'm holding this thing up to my ear. And you're right. That was a lane change for me. And I needed to get out of the house, get out of the Sally house. And it's the only place I've ever been where I've had a feeling like that, you know? So yeah, that is something that I wanted to put behind me. And now I'm willingly going back to this place to talk <laughs> with Dave about it and Rachel. So, and again, the more I think about it, the more I think about what happened to our producer, Tess, while she was there, she actually had a physical sensory interaction with something mm -hmm. that in a way now I'm thinking, oh, well, we got this proof. It's on a recorder and all that. But, you know, it's unclear. You can't understand what it's saying. And there's still that tiny possibility that's just some kind of mundane technical issue. And if that's the case, you could say, all right, well, I'll explain that away. What you can explain is something like pulling Tess's hair away from her ear and whispering a word into her ear, which I can't even remember what it was. Now, I think it was why or something. We said, if you're here, tell us who you are. And it, it was like, why? Or something like that. Yeah, yeah. She had asked the question out loud, or I guess we did, you know, would you like to talk to us? Or basically, we're inviting a conversation, some dialogue. Yeah. And the answer came back, why? Yeah. Like, why do you want to talk to me? And it, so it wasn't just that she heard why, she heard it in one ear. And before that, she felt it move her hair away like it was something leaning in and putting its hand up to her ear. Or like the breath. Yeah, the breath. Yeah. Yeah, not dramatically. Not that it didn't sweep her hair behind her ear, but it moved. Yeah, it's not like there's a fishing string attached to her hair like some bad after school <laughs> special from Halloween 1983. But <laughs> my favorite Martian had a lot of float because he could get oh, the, yes. the things to float. Yeah, yeah. So it'd be sawing and painting and doing all these mundane chores for him uh, back while bouncing around <laughs> on strings. The idea here is, yeah, it wasn't that dramatic, but as the receiver, we're sitting right there and she was genuinely shocked. Yeah, we didn't see her hair move. She felt it and then described it. Yeah, but it was almost like if somebody was whispering and she felt the sensation of not so much the air, but it's, it's kind of hard to explain, but that sensation of somebody whispering into your ear and feeling the the breath on your ear and moving your hair. I think that was the sensation, but we were sitting right there and she was genuinely honest about it. And yeah, well, then she goes, did you guys hear that? Yeah. And that's another really unusual feeling is when you're doing an investigation, and we've only done a couple, and you're in a room with a bunch of people, and then someone goes, did you guys hear that? That's when you're like, wait, what? What did you hear? How come you heard something and we didn't? And you get into this whole thing, and it's like, what did you hear? And then, of course, if you didn't hear it, then the person who says, did you hear it, thinks, oh, well, maybe I'm hearing things. And you just it turns into this whole spiral, you know? Well, as you'll find out from this interview, even afterwards, when you try to do a revisit here, a regroup and discuss what everybody had experienced, that changes. And people won't remember exactly what they were doing at the time. It gets cloudy. And that was something that we've experienced a little bit. And 
They will too. Yeah, definitely. And with regard to the stuff we got, you know, and I've been telling you this, Forrest, after I talked you into our corporation buying a $600 plug-in, I said I was going to analyze the file and try to get audio out of it from our experience at the Sally yeah. House. And like a parent buying a ventriloquist dummy. A flute or a tress saxophone. Yeah. You know, I'll learn how to, I'll learn ventriloquism. I, I really want the dummies. Like, you're never going to learn that, but whatever. No, I'm going to learn how to use this RX. But okay. even if I do... Even if I have that time to do it, because I got to take a class and all that stuff, I'm probably never going to pull that file in. I don't think I can sit and listen to it over and over and try and pull audio out of it. I'm honestly just don't want to do that with it. Plus, already lots of people have heard lots of different things from it, and I just feel like it's a slippery slope once you start analyzing it. However, we have other clips from other people. James A. Willis sent us some stuff, and that's stuff that I would, for me being removed from it, it's a little bit easier to like, let's get in here and see what this is really saying or what this voice in the background is saying. Same thing with uh, Connor Randall. They have a lot of audio yeah. where you hear voices in the background, and cleaning that kind of stuff up, I can see the value in it, as long as you always have that original version. Anyway, I digress. Yeah. Um, well, I'll just to add a little button on that, and Scott and I have discussed this a lot, and I've continued to use that recorder because, of course, he doesn't want it anywhere near him. And what I will say, folks, is that that thing keeps paying off. More and more stuff has come in. And it's just confirmed for me that it is not the recorder. It is not some electronic fluke. It might be the recorder itself in some way that it is somehow able to make this ITC connection more easily, but it is not a malfunction, I believe, of the recorder because it's producing what I firmly believe are words and answers to my questions. So as Scott said, we have a lot of work to do in that regard, and we'll try to work on that in the background as we can to try and get this thing cleaned up, the audio, that is, because until you do that, it's still going to be very meaningless for a lot of people. Yes, and ITC, for people that don't know, is instrumental transcommunication, which is a term that it was originally applied to EVPs before they became known as electronic voice phenomenon. That's the older term. Anyway, that's, again, that's a, a bit of a digression. So leading into this, I did want to say these guys, one of the great things about Rachel and Dave is that they do a real life radio show, a really successful one in St. Louis, and they were able to play audio clips for us from their trip to the Sally House right in the show while we were interviewing them. So you'll be able to hear that in line. Usually we add that stuff later. Uh, the only clip that we referred to and we didn't play during the show was one where Rachel said that she heard something coming up the stairs towards the nursery while she was up there by herself at the Sally House. And I did request that clip from her and we have it. So we'll play it after the interview for you guys. But the rest of them you're going to hear while we're talking to them. And again, I just want to thank Dave and Rachel for coming on the show and making this happen. For those of you that haven't heard of it, the Dave Glover Show has been driving St. Louis home for 20 years. They're unafraid to discuss virtually any topic. You'll hear from Dave and his crew's unique perspectives on current events, news, and politics, and anything and everything in between, including the paranormal. We really appreciate them coming on to Astonishing Legends, and for our listeners that don't live in St. Louis but want to listen to The Dave Glover Show, you can do it online at 97.1 talkradio.com slash Glover. That's G-L-O-V-E-R. They also convert their episodes to podcasts so you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts too including past episodes of their paranormal wednesday segment which we've been on a few times as well as miranda merrick from the midnight library we'll put links to those episodes in the show notes of course okay forrest if you're ready i think we're going to go ahead and play the interview now and then we'll come back after it to take the show out sound good let's do it so we want to welcome dave glover and his producer 
Rachel Zimmerman to the show. They've been on with, well, actually, they haven't been on with us. We've been on with them a bunch of times, but we just wanted to say, uh, guys, welcome to the show. Yes, Forrest, I see you waving. Uh, <laughs> did you say Glover or Glover? Glover, Glover sorry. Yes, Dave Glover, yeah. sorry. Let's get that uh, at the very <laughs> beginning. Get that right. At least yeah, get yeah. that right. Yes. <laughs> so uh, thanks for coming on, guys. We are uh, really happy to have you on the show. Yeah, this is very, very cool. I'm actually nervous. I do a radio show every day for 20 years, and now suddenly I'm nervous. <laughs> well, I'm the one that's nervous because you're real live radio. We're just a couple of basement podcasters, you know? <laughs> yeah, we can redo and redo and edit and edit, and uh, yeah, yeah, there's no redos on the air. Yeah. So thank you, by the way, for having us on so many times. We really have enjoyed coming on, and it's been great sharing guests with you guys and just being part of your show there. And we wanted to have you on. And the reason we're having you on now is because a few months ago, you guys went to the Sally House, which everybody who listens to our show knows what that means to us. And the experiences you had, I thought were pretty interesting, and I thought it would be a good time for us to touch back on the story of the Sally House, even though... I have to admit, it's been a year and a half since I went and had my experience there, which I know you guys are familiar with, and I was reluctant. Even this morning, I'm a little reluctant to attract its attention, frankly, but I watched the video that you have on YouTube, which we're going to have a link to in our show notes for everybody to see. It's really fascinating, all the different experiences you guys had. So I guess I wanted to start out by asking you, what made you go to the Sally House? I mean, aside from just trying to get some good content for your show, I mean, how did you feel about going there and, and what brought that whole trip about? Yeah, it was 100% you guys, good or bad. <laughs> We're so sorry. Yeah, I probably had heard of the Sally House, but I knew nothing about it. And just a little perspective. So this is my 20th year in radio. Every year we do a Halloween show. And it started out sort of with my love of the 1966 Don Knotts, the ghost of Mr. Chicken. <laughs> and uh, yep. so back in 2000, my first year on the air, we went to the Limp Mansion, which is our local Scooby-Doo haunted house. And we did the whole someone has to spend the night. And it just went from there. And it's become a really huge show. We've done the Exorcist House. We were the first team to get into the Exorcist House, which is here in St. Louis. And and so every year we're looking for somewhere to go. My son Nick introduced me to Astonishing Legends a couple of years ago, I guess, and then had you guys on and was like everyone else who listens to your podcast was very taken and disturbed by your experiences at the Sally House. And so we reached out and they said, sure, come on out. And there you go. That was basically it. And I will say right up front. For all of the investigators out there, I'm not an investigator. I'm in no way an expert. We took no equipment other than just video cameras. So I would never put myself up against people who actually do this as a strong hobby or as a living. I just am a rodeo clown. We just do a radio show. <laughs> and this seemed like a really great place to go. And it turned out to be an incredible show. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that experience. First things first, because we're obviously very familiar with Atchison. Where did you guys stay when you were in town? Uh, we just stayed at a hotel. I forget the name of it. It is like a normal... Ho was the Holiday Inn over by the train tracks? We're going to stay one? across the street, but yeah. that seemed too close to the ghost, so we decided to get a little <laughs> get a little separation. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so yeah, I think that's the same place we stayed. So it's basically a five-minute ride from there yeah. up to the house, right? Yeah. How far away are you guys? Uh, how long of a trip is it to get to the Sally House from St. Louis? About five hours. Yeah, about four or five hours. It's okay. a nice little drive. And, and you guys are right. Yeah. It's just a cute, sleepy little town. 
And uh, Maria, who I know you guys love, who basically kind of runs the PR for the Sally House and for Atchison, could not have been nicer. And she really plays a big part in this because the story I'm about to tell you, if we did not have an objective third party there, sort of a chaperone, no one would believe it. It would just seem far too convenient. So the fact that Maria was there with us and we were using all of her equipment, that what happened there really gave credibility to my audience and and hopefully to your audience as well. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Greetings, adventurers. I am the Dungeon Master, and you are listening to Astonishing Legends. Let's get back to the show. Yeah, so let's talk about that. And the first thing I wanted to know was, like, the team that you had there. I know it was you and Rachel and Ryan. There was another gentleman, I didn't catch his name, that saw something in the window in the nursery. What's his name? Yeah, that's Andrew. Andrew is our associate producer, and he's really into this stuff. And this was really the first Halloween taping that we had taken him to. And then we had a gentleman named Jim, who is just an amazing videographer who's been with me all 20 years. So Jim was sort of the director and sort of the voice of reason. And so it was just us and Maria in the house. Okay, so let's talk about the experience and the stuff that happened there. Can you go into that a little bit and what it was like when you actually got there? Yeah, so I'm gonna give the punchline first. We believe it's very possible that my brother, who is deceased, came through and spoke to me. And for this to make any sense, I'll briefly give you the story of my brother. So back in 2002, Christmas Eve, very tragically, my brother took his own life. He was living in Tucson, and he went about a mile into the Saguaro National Park and laid down, and he shot himself. It just is what it is. And for anyone out there in your audience who is a survivor of suicide, you know, as I know, that it leaves a gaping wound that just doesn't heal like a normal death. And my brother and I were very, very close. He was 11 years older than me. He was my big brother, and we had a lot in common. He had a lot of issues. He struggled his whole life, 
And so on Christmas Eve is when we actually found him. He had taken his own life. And it was weird even when it happened. So like I said, we've been doing the Paranormal Wednesdays, we called it. And back 18 years ago, I had a psychic on, a young man named Tristan Rimbo. And I've not talked to him in 18 years. But we hadn't found his body yet. But we were pretty sure what had happened. He had spoken about suicide quite a bit, like some people who take their own lives do. And Tristan called me and he said, I don't want to upset you, but is there something going on with your brother? And I said, yes, he's missing. And he said, do you want to know what I know? And Tristan had been on my show many, many times. And I said, yes. And he said, he is lying either in a field or a desert and his beard is covered in snow And he has a water bottle and a flashlight next to him, and he has passed away. And about two hours later, the park rangers called us, and they had found him. And that is exactly how they found him. So he had walked about a mile into the Saguaro National Park. He was surrounded by cactuses. It seems that he just laid down and took a drink of water, put it next to him, flashlight. It took his own life, and then it snowed that night, which I guess was rare. So when we got to the Sally house doing these shows, I'm always open to my dad who had passed away six months before my brother or my brother coming through. But I never go in thinking about that. I'm basically a showman. Like even when we did the Exorcist house, which I'm terrified of, I'm doing a show. I'm looking for nuggets of entertainment that we can put this here. You guys get it. Yes, absolutely. When we walked into the Sally house, It was still light out. And so we're going to be there all night. We have plenty of time. But given what Scott caught in the nursery, I went straight to the nursery. And Maria had brought this rim pod. I'd never seen one. And she had this app that would generate words. And Rachel and myself and Maria are sitting there. And Maria says, look, This thing will normally spit out a word every five or ten minutes. Don't get too excited. Sometimes they make sense. Sometimes they don't. And immediately, this rim pod and the dowsing rods are just going nuts anytime I'm in the room or close to them, which has happened before. So whether it's natural or it's supernatural, those kind of things tend to really react to me. And rather than spitting out a word every ten minutes, within about... Five minutes, Rachel, would you say? It had given all of these words in a row. Yeah. uh, So the interesting thing to me about Sally House is your memory is weird. Like, you remember it, but then you're not remembering that you were in the nursery with Maria for like 10 minutes before you called me up. Do you remember that? No. Okay. Yeah. So you guys were up there, and I think you were getting just like really generic. I mean, it was beeping and things were going crazy, but we weren't getting anything on the shadow box. Yeah. And then you guys called me up. And yeah, within the first few minutes of me being in there, we started to hear these very specific yeah. words. So the first word that came out was Christmas. And yeah. it, and, and you can hear on the audio that we'll send to you in the video. The first thing I say is my brother took his life on Christmas Eve. And very quickly, it says park. And I'm thinking, OK, Saguaro National Park. The next word it says is cactus. Now, mind you, it's not saying 
clown, baseball, it, it, you know, tree branch. It, all Pretty these, specific. All these things are in a row. So it says yeah. Christmas. It says park. It says cactus. The next word is snow. The next word after that is freeze. The next word after that is illness. My brother suffered from several mental illnesses. The next word is explosion. He took his own life with a gun. And then I play in a band. He was a musician. I'm a musician. And the next three words were, watch you singing. So all of us are just, at that point, like I just got chills thinking about it. It went from, hey, this is fun. We're at the Sally House. We're going to do a great Halloween show. The listeners are going to love it. And suddenly it seems that my deceased brother is talking to me. And so Jim, which you can also see and hear live on the video, my videographer yes. says, ask him something that only Keith would know. And you see me thinking. And what I'm thinking is, what can I ask that only Keith would know? And I formulate in my mind, oh, he loved dogs more than he loved people. I'm going to ask what the name of his first dog was. And before I open my mouth, the shadow box says, or the little EVP spirit box app. Yeah. Spirit box says shadow, which was the name of my brother's dog. And I say that was my brother's dog. I was about to ask him what the name of his first dog was. He just said shadow. And that was his first dog. So at that point, and it's still light out, we really haven't even unpacked. So this rim pod is going nuts and the dowsing rods are just spinning like a ceiling fan And it says Christmas, park, cactus, snow, freeze, illness, explosion, watch you singing. And then when I form the mental question, what was your first dog? It says shadow. Before you could even ask the question. Before I could even ask the question. And at that point, it had just set the tone for the rest of the night and really sort of taken me out of my role as showman. Because now, one of three options— Either my dead brother is trying to speak to me in the nursery of the Sally House. And based on your EVP, I know the the nursery of the Sally House is a very active place, not always a very friendly place. Secondly, there is a spirit speaking to me, but it's not my brother. It is somehow feeding off my energy, reading my mind and trying to make me think that. Or I'm simply seeing puppy dogs in the clouds and I'm putting all these words together and making them mean something. But... It's been now, what, six months or so, and those are some pretty specific words, especially with nothing in the middle. And that's why if Maria hadn't been there watching this happen live with me, and she does this every day, as you guys know, and she was freaking out because I was telling her the story of my brother as this was unfolding in front of us. And I think I had just said, for example, they found him lying next to a cactus and this thing said cactus. And I said he was covered, his beard was covered in snow, and it said snow. And so it was almost like a real-time conversation going on, which in 20 years of doing the Halloween show, I've never had anything like that even remotely close to that happen. Yeah, and that was going to be one of my downstream questions, actually, was in the other explorations you've done, even if you don't want to call them really paranormal investigations, but what you guys do, what you go out and do when you visit these places, have you had, because you said a minute ago that you do feel like you're a focus of activity. I'm taking that to mean that things have happened to you outside of the Sally House. 
Yeah, as well. for whatever reason, I've always been the focus of when a psychic will come in or a medium or if there's any sort of technology, it always just sort of goes crazy around me. And we make the most of it for the show and we kind of laugh about it. And pretty much every show for 20 years, we've had unexplainable things happen. We've had, whether you look at it as really good luck or really bad luck, we've always had really great shows. But it's never been this personal with me. And it's never been something, I'm a skeptic, I'm a religious agnostic, so I am not someone who just goes running into the room and believing and, oh, it's this and it's that and trying to convince the people around me, sort of the opposite, which is why I and everyone in the room had such chicken skin going on and and the hair standing up on the back of our necks because everyone knows what a skeptic I am and they could see the blood draining out of my face with each and every word that was coming out of this box. Well, Dave, you hit on something that I always say places more significance for me and that is context. We've actually mentioned it on the show ourselves. When you maybe start up an app like that and you get a bunch of random words, like you said, baseball, shovel, and none of it is making sense. It's all seemingly very random. It's the order of the words and the words themselves that first got your attention. When the first word comes out and it's Christmas, did you immediately get a sense that, wait a second, I should pay attention to this? I did. I really did. Looking back, I didn't expect it, but looking back, as soon as it said Christmas, because it's not like me to try to jam something in and make it into something, especially that early on in the evening. Mm -hmm. But you can hear me say to Maria, oh, my brother took his own life on Christmas Eve. And of course she responds like you guys did. Oh my gosh, that's so terrible. I'm so sorry for your loss. But she wasn't expecting, you know, the next 12 words to come out to basically be like a story of what happened on December 24, 2002. But looking back now, I kind of did. Like, I was shocked with every word, but then again, I wasn't. Right. We totally understand what you mean. Well, there's a couple of follow-up questions here. Do you then feel that, and this is all gut feeling, of course, that there might be a connection with the house and your brother or just from your brother to yourself, and you just happen to be in the house, and for whatever reason, the house brings out that kind of interaction, that kind of ITC interaction, or have you had other strange messages or contact from your brother outside of the house? No, this was kind of a one-off. You know, it's the kind of thing that I think about him often, and every week we do a paranormal show, and anytime there is a a psychic or a medium on, if I don't ask, they'll usually say something. So there's obviously a really strong connection between my brother and I still, but this was the first Halloween show that we did, the first investigation that we did, where his name really even came up. And we had planned on spending the whole night, and I think we were out of there by 10 or 11 p.m., We experienced something I've never experienced before. Now, if you spend, you know, if you go to the exorcist house like we did, it's terrifying and, you know, it kind of takes it out of you physically. But we all around 10 p.m. just said, I think we're ready to go. And we went to like a little bar and we had a couple beers and some nachos and we went back to the hotel and we drove back. And it was almost as if nothing had happened. None of us were freaking out. And like we talked about when you were on my show right afterwards, each and every one of us, and Rach can speak to this, have had some 
it's almost like a malaise or an amnesia. Like she just texted me and said, I think you're remembering some of it wrong. We all have different memories of what happened that night. And it all feels very foggy. It all feels very much like a dream or a movie I saw when I was a teenager. It's not crisp. Yeah, if I can just jump in here. So one of the big things that happened that we highlighted on our show was that Andrew, who we were talking about earlier, our associate producer, was up in the nursery by himself at one point. He sees a shape and he like freaks out and runs down to us and is just having a meltdown because he saw this shape, this shadow outside the window of the nursery. and Which is, by the way, a second floor window. Yes, yes. yes. (laughs) A lot of weird stuff surrounding that. The first of which was I had been in the nursery right before Andrew. Dave came up with the camera guy. We're talking. And then Dave sees a shadow or a shape outside the window. He literally curses and goes, oh, blank. I just saw a shadow outside the window. And I said, oh my gosh, I've been seeing things like that all night. Five minutes later, Andrew sees a shape, and Dave and I are to each other like, oh, he says he saw a shape. That's weird. I wonder what it looked like. We didn't remember that happening. I didn't remember you seeing something until I was editing audio two weeks later, and it just absolutely knocked me out because I guess I can remember it happening because I'm hearing Dave Glover and Rachel Zimmerman having the conversation on tape, and I know that's us, but I couldn't recall it. The other really weird thing is Andrew saw fingerprints on the other side of the window, like from the outside. And Dave, you went over and looked at him and we're like, oh, weird. And then we never did anything about it. They were little kid fingerprints on the outside of the upstairs window. They're clearly little kid fingerprints. And if that was the main thing we found, if that was the money shot of the whole investigation, that's pretty cool. And it was like someone said, we should go to Dairy Queen and get a burger. We just walked away from it. It reminds me of, if you guys have seen Westworld on HBO, whenever the artificial intelligence is presented with something that makes it clear that they could be artificial intelligence or they're living in a fake world, they say, oh, that doesn't look like anything to me. Like their brain just won't let them comprehend it. That's how it felt. Or that's what it seems like looking back. It's like we were all just like, duh, I don't know. And moving on with our lives as if we weren't there specifically to do an investigation and kind of blowing past things that I feel like if they would have happened at any of the other shows I've done with you, Dave, we would have been like chasing that trail for sure. This one we just kind of breezed past. The other super obvious thing from a showmanship standpoint would have been to have Dave be in the nursery by himself. Dave just flat out refused to do it, which was strange considering your interaction with what we think could have been your brother was very pleasant, but he just wouldn't do it. He didn't want to do it, period, amen. It's not happening. Yeah, it was unlike any other Halloween show we've ever done. And I'm a big believer in take a spooky house, and the Sally house is, and tell a spooky story, go in there after dark, add water, you, you've got a Halloween show. But yeah. this is the only place, other than maybe the Exorcist house, where I felt like it was a battery that was just draining us. Like, physically, yeah. it was... <sighs> I mean, at one point we were sitting downstairs, everyone but Rachel, who was upstairs in the nursery, and she was hearing us 
kind of walking up and down the stairs with purpose and she was getting angry. Like, look, this isn't funny. We're the Sally house. Stop it. You're scaring me. And we were all looking at each other. No one had approached the stairs. And then in the recording on the show, it's not an EVP. You can hear what she's hearing. You can hear coming across the natural video and camera. You can hear the footsteps going up and down. And as God is my witness, we were just all sitting in the living room whispering to each other because we didn't want to mess up whatever audio she was creating upstairs. But again, this would have been like the highlight of most Halloween shows, but we just all kept taking it as if it was the most boring, mundane thing. We call that paranormal apathy. Yeah, we've talked <laughs> about it. Or there's a sense of that. Yeah, we've talked about it in the show. We've heard it not just in haunted places like that, but also you'll see it with... People seeing UFOs or something in the sky, and somebody will point that out, and the other people around them just aren't even interested enough to look up. I think it's either one of two things, or maybe a combination of both, where something within your own mind or your own person is telling you, like you said, with the artificial intelligence, like, we don't know what this is, so we're just going to ignore this for the moment, uh, set this aside. Or it could be an outside influence. And yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of stories that we've come across of that happening with shadow people specifically or people having night terrors or whatever. And they wake up or they see something or if they're having a a personal experience with abduction or something like that. And they say, well, you know, I I went back to sleep. I I went back to bed. I woke up. I had this crazy and I and I just went back to sleep. It's like, why are you going back to sleep after you saw a man standing in the corner in your bedroom or whatever. So that's a very fascinating thing. The other thing that's a really specific feeling that is very hard to describe to anyone is that feeling once you get in there, because I went in not skeptical myself. I believed in all the things that had happened to the Pikmins back in the 90s. I was a full believer in that story, all the stuff that was on sightings and everything. And we talked to them for our series. I'm sure you heard that. But I believed that that happened, but it was such a long time ago. And I thought that it probably maybe had centered around them more than the house necessarily. And we were going in the house. I had explained this on our show. We were in town for something else. And I was reluctant to, I was just like, oh yeah, we barely have time to do this. And Maria was like, I've got the keys. You guys want to come by? And so I went in, I think in a similar frame of mind to you, Dave, with just like some weird stuff happened here a long time ago, but this is just an old house, you know? And then that moment when the thing happens, you know, with me, it was the EVP with you. It was the spirit box experience among all the other things. There's a shift in your mind. It's like, oh, I'm really in something here. This is real. That is such an indescribable feeling. It you know, is. It that, is. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, as we've talked about when you've been on my show, I've always been into this. I'm 55 years old, so I grew up in the In Search Of and all those sorts of shows. And I'm especially into Bigfoot and Sasquatch. And I've done a lot of research. And I listened to your, like, 50-hour presentation <laughs> of the Patterson-Gimlin. And I was mad when it was over. And so, <laughs> so I believe that there is a creature out there. I absolutely 100% believe it. And I hear these stories over and over again on the different podcasts I listen to where true believers out there looking for Bigfoot and then they find him and they just go numb. And when we were driving to Atchison, we're very excited. It's a Sally house. It's going to be great. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to put Andrew in the basement. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And when we walked in the house, all bets were off. And it was as if the house 
and I've never said this before about any other place I've been, and I feel silly saying it now, but it was as if the house said, yeah, whatever, come on in, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. And and that's never happened in any other place I've been, including the exorcist house. And the whole night felt very much out of control. It was just, we were going from one staging to another. Okay, Ryan, let's put you in the basement and this and this and this. But the whole thing just felt like we were little kids on a trip, sitting in the back seat, and someone else was driving. Well, Dave, in connection to that feeling, this is a follow-up question to your first story here. Do you feel in your gut that what was communicating with you was your brother, actually, or was it something else that just knew these answers to your questions or knew the story? And like you said about being led around the house, it was kind of giving you a show. Well, as I said, I'm a religious agnostic, but I'm not an atheist. I'm what I call a hopeful agnostic. I don't want to die and never live again. I want to see my brother. I want to see my dad. So I'm very hopeful that I'm wrong and that there is a God and we're all going to live forever. So when it appears that your dead brother who you haven't seen in 18 years is speaking to you, I think your default is to want to believe it. After that, some strange things happened, but nothing malevolent. No one was touched. No one was scratched. No one was shoved. And so my gut is that if anything supernatural happened, it truly was my brother taking the opportunity of me being in this place that has some sort of power or space or a thin membrane between this world and his, taking that opportunity to speak to me and let me know that he's still there. That's my gut. It would make me very, very sad if it were just a random spirit having fun. That would feel especially cruel. That, to me, would be far worse than getting scratched up like the Pikmins did. That that's far more emotionally damaging and cruel for a spirit to pretend to be a deceased loved one and just sort of laugh at you. Yeah. Yeah. And you addressed something else that I wanted to ask about, and this goes for you as well, Rachel. Like, after you guys left, did anything follow you? I know you said nothing, you know, particularly bad, but did you have any ongoing experiences that you thought maybe might be connected to your visit? I didn't personally. The malaise kind of lasted for a long time afterwards. People would, like, here at the radio station would come up and be like, how was the trip to Kansas? And I'd be like, yeah, it's fine. We had fun. But I didn't even think, like, until I started editing audio a couple weeks later, I swear I didn't even think about the experience, which is so weird because Dave is my good friend, and seeing him go through the experience with the spirit box was very emotional. Like, I wish you two could have been in the room with us when that was happening. It was so heavy and so just emotional is the only way to put it. Something real was happening. And I just didn't even think about it, you know, until later when I'm going through and your memory is jogged and, oh, yeah, that was really cool. But I didn't spend much time at all reflecting on it, which I thought was strange. Yeah, it's like getting Novocaine at the dentist. Like they always say, okay, you're just going to feel pressure, but you're not going to feel pain. And emotionally, intellectually, that's the way it felt. 
everything felt like I know these things are happening. I can see the the tiny fingerprints of a child on the outside of an upstairs window, which pre Sally House, Dave Glover would have been like, okay, let's get a ladder. Let's take a picture of this. Let's do this. Let's set it up. Here's how we're going to block it, X, Y, Z. And I just sort of shrugged and walked away and said, that's really weird. So in addition to what I hope was my brother coming through and communicating to me in the literally, guys, the first 10 minutes we were in the door, the most uh, impressive thing was that to a man, Everyone had this emotional Novocaine during the entire visit and for a couple of weeks afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, boy, I can relate to that. Wow. For me, it stuck with me a super long time. And like I said, I we had set up this call to talk about this today. But even in the minutes preceding it, I was sitting here thinking, do I really want to revisit this or open this can of worms again? And I've said this on the show before. I'm frequently flying back and forth across the country from the West Coast to the East Coast. And when the plane goes over Kansas, I feel uncomfortable. <laughs> so like, and I'm seven miles up. So it's... Uh, yeah, it's- it, when you guys watch this video and listen to it, know that, Scott, you were on my mind. And that's why I ran... It's sort of like a kid at Disney World. And you go through the gates and you're like, I got to see the castle. Like when we yeah. got there, I said... Nursery. Let's go straight to the nursery. I believe this is where Scott put the recorder where he got this terrible EVP of something growling and screaming. And so I was thinking of you. And then I was expecting something like that. I was ready for a screaming demon. I wasn't ready for my deceased brother to come through and tell me that he watches me singing. And yeah. and and telling me the name of his dog before I ever ask him. I was ready for a battle. I wasn't ready for something soft and emotional. Well, yeah, and the amount of activity that you guys had, too, and you see that when you watch the video between the REM pod, which we haven't been on a lot of investigations with those, but generally they just sit there, you know, and a light flashes once in a while or there's like one beep. But what was happening with you and the dowsing rods and the REM pod while all that was going on was – right up there with the bedroom in Close Encounters when it comes to get the little boy. It was just like crazy, all that stuff. Yeah, they were working in conjunction with each other. It's not like one would be super active and the other would be quiet. There was another moment where Andrew was in the nursery. Do you remember this, Dave? I just listened to the whole show this morning in preparation for the interview. And okay, so when Andrew comes in and they say, does Alice mean anything to you? And he goes, yeah, that was my grandma. She lived with us for this many years, blah, blah, blah. Both devices start going crazy, and one of them goes, liar. (laughs) It was insane. And the fact that they went off at the exact same time, I could probably play the audio if we wanted to. but Yeah, any audio you have, we'd love, by all means, if it's easy to pull up. Do you have the audio of the thing saying shadow? Yeah, hold on, give me one second. Yeah, I'd love to hear the footsteps, too, because I didn't pick up on that in the video. But we can get that later, too. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay. Pause it. Yeah, I mean, I'll come in here and I'll get a heavy feeling sometimes. And I'm... Did they just turn that off or did your girlfriend's on? Did you guys do that? Did you guys turn that on? There's no one in the room. Shut up. The dog just went off in the other room. You guys, did you set off that? That toy just went off. No one was in there. Did you hear him? But you heard him, right? I did. It's freezing over here. It's okay, so some lady. <clears throat> and that's Maria, who you hear. Which you guys know Maria. She basically lives at the Sally house. I know. I don't know how she does it. She's very hard <laughs> to impress. She's even harder to scare. And she was very uncomfortable the whole time when she was there with us. Yeah, you guys had a lot of activity. Because we didn't really have that much compared to you. The weirdest, other weirdest thing that happened besides our EVP and I have some observations to make about that in hindsight, but like the other crazy thing that happened was that Tess, our head of research who was with us and one of our producers, she was in there and something <laughs> pulled her hair back from her ear and whispered in her ear. And she was real unsettled about that for a long time. And I mean, and who can blame her? But that was an actual physical interaction. But between that and the EVP that we got, that was really, and, you know, weird, bad feelings and the stuff that you can't really describe and nobody can understand when you're trying to talk about it for entertainment's sake. That was the only couple of things that happened to us. But you guys, it was just like a three-ring circus, it seems like, really. Yeah. Yeah, and we left early. You know, we yeah. typically, our company, like most big companies, does not want to spend a lot of money. And right. so they don't typically send us out of town. And this time they said, okay, you know, we convinced them about the Sally House. They did. And we owed it to them. We had it for the whole night. We owed it to them to spend the whole night and leave at daybreak. And at 10 p.m., we're all like, let's go. And we went and we had beers. It was very, very unlike us. And the next morning, we're all like, what? Why did we do that? But we all had agreed. We just all felt exactly the same way. Do you think something was trying to get you out of there? Like the show's over, folks. You're done here. Or do you feel it was just collectively personal? Like your energy's drained. You're just done with it. Personally, I think this is going to sound crazy. But personally, I think the house was disappointed when we left. I don't think the house was done with us. I think that... The house is probably used to the investigative teams coming in and they're loaded for bear and they have all of the machines and they're going to spend the night there and they're going to sleep in the nursery. And for whatever reason, it just seemed to be especially intrigued with us and with me. And when we left, I had a little bit of a sense of where are you going? <laughs> like, yeah. we just got started. But you know what else I feel like, and I've said this before, and there's nothing tangible I can connect to this, but the other thing that I feel like is that it is aware how much propagation it's going to get from a visitor. And I feel like it knows, I think it knew when we walked in there, this is the weirdest thing. I think it knew how big our audience was, and I would not be surprised if it knew what was going to happen with anything it did for you also after you guys left. It seems like it wants more attention. And we even talked about... 
a theory that it's marketing itself because it wants to draw more people in. Yeah. There's something really bizarre about it. And there's a lot of other stories in Atchison as well, by the way. The bar you went to, I don't know which one it was, but most of them are haunted. And then the place across the street that you were maybe going to stay, I'm pretty sure that place is haunted. The university up the street is haunted, but they don't like to talk about it. So it's like, there's just a lot going on in that town. And I felt like, and I love Atchison. I highly recommend people go and visit and check out the Sally House. But the town definitely has a feeling to it overall. 100%. When we pulled up to the Sally house, there were two cats on the porch on the house next door literally going <laughs> like, <laughs> like don't go in there. I think one yeah. of them was black. It was the craziest, creepiest feeling and then to have that bed and breakfast or whatever it is across the street yeah. that just looks like a haunted mansion. As soon as we yeah. pulled up, it was like, all right, here we go. And you know, let's just drill down on that. Let's just assume that there's something at the Sally House, that it's aware, that it's sentient, it would fit perfectly with that narrative because I came walking in there with 20 years under my belt and a really big audience and people listen to the Halloween show all over the world. And it just punched me in the face. And here's a thought I had. Had we walked in and gone to the nursery and we would have picked up an EVP like Scott did. I would have been okay. I would have been like, great, game on, let's do this thing. But it somehow, following this logic, somehow knew this is what's going to get him. That either to pretend to be my dead brother or to allow my dead brother to come through, this is going to knock him off dead center. And it 100% did. I was off my game from the first word when it said Christmas until we left. Yeah, Dave, you were saying that in your gut you think that it was your brother. And I hope that that is true. But the way the house seemed to provoke, it was definitely provoking you with that. And then with Andrew calling him a lie, I mean... I don't know. It was almost like it could There's pick up. There's a lot going on there. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like it could pick up on your energy. And like the more you were relating, the more it knew about you. Can you play the shadow sound? Because I want to make a comment about this once you hear it. Yeah. Um, Ask a question, mm-hmm. yes or no, that Keith would know the answer to. Okay. Um, gosh. Shadow. Shadow is his dog. So you can hear Jim there say, ask him something that only Keith would know, and you can hear me struggling. My point to that is, kind of following this line of reasoning, that felt show-off-y. That if it was not my brother, if it was something else, that felt like dunking the ball on me. That (laughs) that as I was, and you can hear the emotion in my voice, I've already heard Christmas, park, cactus, snow, freeze, illness, explosion, I watch you sing, and I'm completely freaked out, and then it felt like someone just dunking the ball. Like, here you go, Shadow, that's his dog, now what? What what are the games you want to play? Yeah, what do you want now? It's like, not just someone dunking the ball, but like Michael Jordan. You know, like, it's like jumping from the half court, you know? And just for our listeners, what you're hearing that squeal, that's the REM pod going off. Which, it never stopped. Yeah, that's one of the amazing things that I saw in watching the video is that, like Scott said, a lot of times you take it to a haunted place and it just sits there. 
And I've had the experience at the Waverly Sanitarium where it was going off for a small session a lot, like beeping, but not a continuous tone like that. And that's significant. And as people may know out in our audience that it's essentially a proximity sensor is, is one of the functions it has. So when something gets near the antenna within probably a couple of feet, it starts to go off. And in relation to that, though, do you guys think that there were multiple things interacting with you or that something that was singularly in charge was kind of orchestrating this or was it was it a group effort? My feeling was that there was definitely one energy that was orchestrating things but that there were multiple things happening because they they all had a different flavor. Some of them were very playful. Others were very odd and off-putting and scary. But from the moment we walked in the house, it was as if something was saying, okay, Mr. Hot Stuff, you're on my territory now. I'm going to dictate how this evening goes, and we're going to start right now come upstairs, sit down. And that's when Maria said, I have these ghost hunting machines. I'd never seen them before. She warned us, don't get too excited. They're probably not going to make much noise. And it was just constant. It was loud. It was weird. Whenever I held the dowsing rods, they literally, both of them spun as fast as they could go. You can see it. You can see it on the video. And that's what it was like. I would love to go back with both shoes on, because I felt like we walked in there pretty cocky. I've done this 19 times. This is my 20th. This is going to be great. The guys from Astonishing, or they're going to love this. We're going to get so much stuff. And I just felt like a little kid, and the principal takes you by the shoulders and puts you in a chair and starts dressing you down. That's how the night felt. You know what's interesting about that, and I don't think I've talked about this as it relates to our particular EVP, but this connects to like that thing about, we had a friend who's a psychic or a medium, I guess, and she when she looked at some of the video we shot there, and she noted that, I think when I was out in the yard, maybe, Forrest, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but that it seemed to have taken an interest in me because I was the most skeptical person in the party. And that there it was like, oh, this guy, this is the guy we're going to mess with. And then we took the EVP. There was a gentleman who was a guest on the show who lives in Florida. I think his name's Josh, who listens to EVPs all the time. And he was the one that we kind of got intertwined with, with our EVP. We both sent our recorders the same week or within 10 days of each other to that forensic audiologist. And that was a whole other side story of strangeness. But within the EVP, he tried to decode what he thought was being said. And there was some very strange things in there. But what I'm (laughs) – this is a weird story, and I've not shared this about Sally. But when we went to town, when I rent cars – I love cars. Everybody knows this who listens to the show. I love cars. So a lot of times when I travel, I'll rent something weird that I've never driven just for the fun of it. So when we went to uh, Kansas City – I rented an Escalade, like a brand new Escalade. I was like, never driven one of these, and you know, because we also had a bunch of people we were going to be driving around because we were in town for an Amelia Earhart thing, and there was a lot of people. So, and when we went to the house and we pulled up in that thing, and on top of that, I was also wearing a very nice watch that my wife had gotten me for our 23rd anniversary, and I don't usually travel with that. So, I think about this thing like 
what we look like as we're approaching the house. And one of the things that Josh thought he heard in the EVP that he decoded was the phrase, look at his money. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And when you hear it, that's the whole thing we talk about and like the pareidolia and all that. Once you hear that in the EVP, which I have not listened to in like eight months, you can't not hear it, of course. So now that I've said it, anyone that goes back and listens to File 10 will hear it. It's on our YouTube channel, but it's very condescending. And also the other thing that's freaky about it is that it's one party talking to another. Yeah. It's not just this one thing in here. It's like, hey, there's a group in here and it's like, all right, what are we going to do with this guy? Oh, look at his money. You know, like it's like, oh, it's just it still creeps me out when I think about it. Well, to your point earlier and to Dave's feeling, it's the whatever's there. And if you feel like it's being orchestrated or it's that trickster element that's playing with you. What our mutual friend said was that it looks for that agnostic attitude because they get the most bang for their buck out of it. Because not that I've had a lot of paranormal experiences myself, but if I got an EVP and it said, uh, Forrest is a liar, Forrest is stupid, it's like, okay, well, I've been called worse. And it wouldn't, I'd be kind of wowed by it, but it wouldn't have rocked me that much. And I think that's what she was saying is that it singled Scott out because he's like, oh, you know, come on, where's the gift shop? Let's just get our trinkets and split. And it wasn't going to be a big deal, but since he didn't have that background of actually believing that something would happen. He was affected the most, and that's what it looked for. Guys, I don't know how much you thought about this, but having listened to that episode, the first thing that hit me was that it went after Scott because of your son, that you had your 9- or 10-year-old son sitting right outside the Sally house, and to me, even more than an Escalade or a nice watch, that's just fodder. You know, that's like, oh, I can't lay off this. This cocky a-hole has his son here. He brought his child. Okay. That, to me, fits nicely into a narrative that's the difference between, hey, Dave, would you like to talk to your dead brother? And that screaming, growling, I'm so angry thing that you picked up where you guys were there for the Amelia Earhart Festival. You want to get a hot dog. You want to go to TGI Fridays. You want to go to the Sally House. It was almost dismissive. And then you got your son sitting outside there. That was the narrative I took from your experience was it was much more of an F you to you guys and to Scott. Whereas with me, it was this is going to be fun. Like, let's this is going to be we're going to have a good time with this guy. Yeah. Which yeah. which is why I understand completely why you have PTSD from it, because that was so personal. And had the next few words from this spirit box been, I'm so disappointed in you. You have let me down. You were not there for me when I needed you. I would have fallen apart. I probably wouldn't have finished the show. Because at that point, I was hooked. I believed it was my brother, and it was pleasant. It wasn't, I love you and I miss you, but had it gone dark in an emotional way? That's a really interesting point you bring up, Dave, because the house, the spirit, whatever you want to call it, went straight for the jugular with Andrew whenever he walked into the room. So it had been kind of buttering you up, and then he walked in and it immediately called him a liar. But to kind of set the stage here, it brought up his grandmother and his wife's grandmother had just passed away. 
like literally he left the next morning at 5 a.m. to make it to the funeral, his wife's grandmother's funeral. So this is weighing on his mind. He's emotional about it. I know how close he was with this grandma. And he walks in. Oh, Alice was my grandmother. And it immediately just like gets him. I can play the audio really quickly because this is uh, interesting stuff. And this is this is right on the. The right on the heels of, of Dave's brother. Yeah. Do you guys, do the names Alice or Lois mean anything to either of you? Alice was my grandmother's name. The one that I was Nona. Nona. Did you call her Nona? Oh, yeah. Uh, Mimi. Truth. 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 Right with you. That was my grandmother. Yeah, it said yeah. Nona, which is my. grandma. Uh, yeah, that was my, I've been thinking about her a lot lately. Um, my wife recently lost her grandmother, and so it's, it's had me thinking a lot about her. Alice. And then it said yeah. Truth. She was the girl who lived with you? Mm, she was the one who lived with me for over 10 years. Oh. Liar. Whoa. <laughs> wow. He's not lying. I mean, it might have been nine years. <laughs> <laughs> I might be rounding I mean, up or in down. In general, you're right. <laughs> Demand. Uh, Somebody is not happy at someone here. REM pods don't do that, really, very often. Really? continuously like that, it means, well, if you're going to believe the device works, it means that something is very close by to the device itself. Right on uh, top of it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's it, like it's, a theremin. Just quickly, folks, Forrest has, uh, he's got a doctor appointment, so he's going to go. But I did want to keep talking to you just a few more minutes, if that's okay. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the air with us and sharing this. So we don't have a REM pod. I want to get one, but we've talked to lots of people that use them regularly. And one of the things they've said in the past was like, you take this thing a lot of different places and pretty much doesn't do hardly anything or a light flashes for a minute or you hear like a little beep or a couple of beeps. But that stuff that you guys experienced, it's just it's just crazy to have it go that crazy. To go off at the exact same time as the spirit box. Yeah. And then you hear yeah. us all laughing because it was tense. It was more like I wanted to laugh because I felt so bad for Andrew. I kind of wanted to break that tension and be like, you can hear me say, he's not a liar, like nervous. Kind of like if someone, if it was a social faux pas, like, what are you talking about? Don't say that. How you would kind of try to break the tension in conversation. We were trying to break the tension with whoever was trying to talk to Andrew. I mean, there's no way for people to be in the room with us in the past, but I just wish you could have the same feeling of that moment. And then when Dave's brother was talking to him, it's just indescribable. Have you guys encountered anyone since you've been back, either one of you, where people, even seeing the video and you tell them what it was like, they're incredulous about it anyway? I don't think so. <clears throat> Probably the other okay. way around. I always tell the guys when we do the Halloween show, because we'll tape it and then we'll present it live. And I'll always say, leave room, let it breathe, because the listeners are a part of this. And they will invariably call in or tweet and say, something just happened in my home or the sound is doing this on your radio program. And we had so many people so touched by the thing about my brother Keith and having experiences at their own home and things happening with the frequency. And it was very, very weird. No one, probably because it's my brother, was mean about it. And, oh, what a bunch of crap. Or you're just, like, trying to make things fit for a narrative. Plus, I mean, again, as a skeptic agnostic, those, like, 10 or 12 words, they're pretty inescapable. The pure mathematical probabilities of those words being strung together 
are highly, highly unlikely. The only experience that I've had is, so I run the show's Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that. And we had listeners coming out of the woodwork that are not frequent commenters. They don't frequently reach out to the show saying, you guys should not have went there. Yeah, we get You're that every re- time. Yeah, but this was a lot. Yeah. It was people who didn't normally comment, feeling compelled to go. Yeah. Something probably followed you out of there and you're going to regret going there. And I'm not listening. We went to the Exorcist house, which just quickly is here in St. Louis in a little bedroom community near the University of Missouri, St. Louis. Built like in the 20s. This happened in 1947-48. This is the house where the exorcism took place of this young boy. And I'd been obsessed with it since I was a kid. And so finally, the person who lived there, a young man, was a fan of the show. He let us come in. We were the first people ever to set foot in there with video cameras. So I was very excited. But again, I'm a showman. And I wasn't making things happen, but I'm doing a show like, okay, now let's go to the room and let's do this and let's put this person upstairs and so forth and so on. And ever since then, I have felt a disturbance in the force, so to speak, of, oh, this is that cocky guy that went into the exorcist house to do a show with a complete lack of respect. And that has sort of followed me over the years with the Halloween show. So whether that's directly connected to the Sally house, I don't know. But since walking out of the exorcist house back in 2008 or nine, I had a very strong sense of that. Like the next morning I woke up and thought that was the wrong way to do that. You know, you should have had some reverence for it. I didn't go in and, you know, do anything stupid, but that has always sort of no pun kind of haunted me. Yeah. And, you know, it's weird. Then I went back in like 2014 or 15 and I was the co-host of Exorcism Live on Destination America. And we spent three or four days at the Exorcist house getting ready for the show. And like anything, it just becomes a house. You know, you're, you're there four days and you're taking your meals and you're cutting up and stuff. And again, I've always just kind of felt like a little bit of an evening, like, okay. Okay, I see you. You're back. So who knows if that could have something to do with the way that the Sally House treated us. Well, I will be curious to see what happens this year whenever you figure out what you're doing (laughs) and where you're going this year. Forrest is trying to get me to go. We've already got a trip on the books to go back to Waverly. So in June, I think. And uh, Could you go back to Sally? I don't think I could, to be honest. I don't think I... (laughs) We bought this really expensive plug-in for Pro Tools, which I talked about on the show, I think, that, you know, looks for dialogue in bad audio. And it's designed for television and movie producers when something's gone wrong and they can't get De Niro to come back and fix the line or whatever. So you use it and it's a really, really powerful tool. And it has some kind of algorithm where it will try to recover dialogue from things. And I wanted to run file 10 through it and try to learn how to use it. And just learning how to use it is like flying an airplane. So there's that whole component. I would have to take classes to figure out how to be effective with it and its dialogue recovery. But, And I still plan to use it. Other people have sent us files that they want me to run through it. It's called RX, you know, and it's a plugin for Pro Tools. And But I don't think I'll ever be able, even if I do learn how to use it, and of course it's been a year since we bought it now and I haven't, I don't think I would even be able to listen to 
file 10 enough to try and recover the dialogue from it. Now, one thing I will say, though, is that Forrest has done some other investigations with our recorder and picked up some similar audio in other places. So, and we have talked to some people that have said, you know, you should consider the fact that it's possible it's the nature of the recorder. Yes, it's getting something, but that the reason it sounds the way it does has more to do with it not being the exactly the right tool. And people that would call themselves psychic have said that they thought it was frustrated because it was difficult to use it effectively. And that was what was making it so angry. And uh, so... I've never heard an EVP with more emotion behind it than Final yeah. 10. Yeah, I know. It's weird. And that's one of my favorite... I'm not sure I heard him right, but I think it was... Um, who sat in the basement? Was that Andrew or that Ryan? That was Ryan. That was Ryan. So I think it was Andrew. Andrew was the one that saw the thing out, the shape in the window, right? Correct. There's. It sounds like on tape he's going, I can't remember the exact quote, but it sounds like he goes, I, I, I need to get out of this room for a minute. And then like as he's walking away, you hear it sort of off camera. And it's like, or maybe for all time or something or forever. He's like, like he wasn't ever going to go back in the nursery, which it's like, that's the feeling. After I heard the recording, I was going to listen for like whispers or something. And when I was holding it up to my ear downstairs there, and when I heard it, I went out of the house and never went back inside, ever. And I don't think, I mean, they had to get all the gear and come out, and that's when we left. So anyway, I really appreciate you guys coming on to talk about this. I'm glad that we did it, and I think that our listeners are going to be really interested in your story. If it's not too difficult, Rachel, and I don't know if it is, could you play the part with uh, where Dave's talking about Keith? Yeah, it's probably my first cut here. Okay. Doesn't seem too bad in here right now. Yeah, this is flatlined. Christmas. Christmas? It's when my brother died. The room pot's still going crazy. Yeah. Oh, this is pumped up too. I'll just stay here. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I've been in here. Beside. 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 Park. 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 How do you usually do these? With so you can, so hold your hands real steady. Right. Yeah. Ask a question and cross if it's a yes or uncross. Okay. If it's a no or the other way around. So let's cross if it's a yes. Is someone trying to communicate about my brother? Start. Whoa, start. That's a big time yes. My brother took his own life First in day. a park. First day. You just talked about... With what, what did you say? My brother took his own life on Christmas in a park. Freezer. Well, it's going crazy when you're talking about that. Yeah. Everything just went off. Freezer meaning? He did it in the middle of winter and he was covered sports. in snow. So do you like sports? Look yeah. how crazy that's... That's like a guessing, like crazy... Oh, Someone here connected to me? Watching. Watching? Oh my 
Timmy getting all this? Is there something you want to tell me? It's getting faster. Here. Here. H-E-R-E. Is it Keith? That's hard for me to listen to. <laughs> I had forgotten how how much it ramped up at the end. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that's difficult to go back and hear. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Kish, and when I'm not searching for the pig lady of Candleton, I listen to Astonishing Legends. Let's get back to the show. Yeah, so are you want to go back. You already said you wanted to go back. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I just feel like unfinished business. I don't feel any sort of adversarial or this time I'm going to show you. It just kind of feels unfinished. You know, we left a little early. I would like to go in prepared this time. I was obviously completely unprepared for that and say, okay, if you want to talk to me, whether it's Keith or it's something else, let's talk. So I imagine we'll go back. I'm not sure if we'll go back this year, but I think we're probably going to have a round two at the Sally House. Well, you can go back. <laughs> I'm going to go by myself. <laughs> Are you not going back, Rachel? I don't want to. I feel like, yeah. and especially after talking to you guys today, I feel like we should be happy with the way we left things. That we got out of there without anything too bad happening, too terrible happening. And if I were you, Dave, I would just leave that interaction alone and say, I hope it was my brother. But I have a very bad feeling that if you were to go back, you would find out that it was not him. Quite possible. Well, guys, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and spending so much time with us. I know you have crazy schedules, and we just really appreciate your coming on. Yeah, happy to do it. If anyone wants to find us, they can do it at 971talk.com. It's the Dave Glover Show in St. Louis, and we will put together, we'll send you guys everything that we have, but then we'll put together some stuff on our end as well that uh, people can find. Right. Okay. So now that we're on the back end of that, the first thing I want to say, I didn't want to do any spoilers up in the top of it. First of all, it's an amazing story. Thanks again, you guys, for coming on. This story was not malevolent, or what Dave dealt with, at least it doesn't on the surface seem malevolent. And even the other things that were happening to Rachel and the rest of their team, I mean, the shadow outside the window that one of their guys saw, that's a little scary, but... 
it's a far cry from what we experienced there, unless we're misinterpreting the nature of what we experienced with our EVP, which is entirely possible. But this was more of a potentially actually uplifting experience that he had in the nursery at the Sally house. Yeah. If you look at it that way, and that's why I asked Dave, what did uh, his gut think it was? Was it actually something like his brother's spirit coming through to communicate with him? It was just an opportune time in a location that made that communication easier to do. And the fact that somehow on the other side, people are able to visit you. It's not easy. It may take a lot of energy, but it can happen in certain locations more often than others. Is that what was happening? Or was it something that just knew of his brother or was maybe trying to mimic it or for some reason had knowledge, which is also another scary proposition, is that how does it know if it isn't his brother? Yeah, and that's interesting to me, too. He said right there at the beginning, this is one of three things. This is either something pretending or it actually is him or related to him. And he didn't really have a feeling for it. And of course, when you're in this position, I think him or anyone else is going to want to believe because if you're possibly communicating with a departed loved one, of course, who doesn't want the chance to do that? And I don't know what to believe. It seemed pretty genuine to me when you watch the video and when you hear the audio, you can't really think of a reason that it wouldn't be. And then you get into that whole thing where it's like, well, there's this omniscient type of being in the background on the other side, and it's sending the information through, not necessarily out of malevolence, but maybe it's not the person you think it is, but it knows that that's what you want to hear and it's trying to comfort you. I don't know. That's exactly the point I was just about to make, if you hadn't brought it up, in that, one, it's just what we talked about in the Casey series, some kind of Akashic record, some book of life, some record that anything that ever has ever happened or, or will or is happening is all accessible in a giant universal hard drive, that if you know how to access it, all the information is there. And it's not totally accessible. And we saw that with Casey himself. Sometimes he said, well, I don't have that information here. <laughs> Sorry. Next question. Or we're done for today. Ask me tomorrow, like some kind of magic eight ball. But what's interesting here that you just brought up is a couple of cases that we've heard before. We've certainly had emails come into us relaying something similar, but there's two major stories that remind me exactly of what you just said and that there is something on the other side, I believe, that wants to comfort you and tries to, that there's something there. And I don't know if it's that emotional energy, which is really strong, or out of some misguided attempt at comfort and easing of pain. But it's one story, I believe, that appears in the documentary, The Nightmare. Remember that one? Yeah. I think that's where I heard it. If not, it's Jeremy Harold's campfire. It's one of the two places. But a woman whose mother had passed recently, I think within a few months, and she was, of course, just heartbroken and devastated and was really torn up about it one night, feels someone crawl into bed with her. And she is laying on her side away from this action that's happening. And she just knows two things. One, that it is something like her mother. The smell, the feeling, everything about it, just the sensation that her mother is climbing into bed with her to comfort her. And the second thing she knows deep down, 100%, is that this is not my mother. Right. That something is trying to comfort me. And she's not totally terrified and freaked out. She's a little freaked out because she's realizing that something has just crawled into bed with me to soothe me, but there shouldn't be anything there. And 
is trying to pretend to be my mother. Well, and that comes around to something. That I'm glad you brought that up because that comes around to something that I forgot. And, you know, and it's not something that I want to posit or necessarily put into your head, Dave, because I know you're going to hear this show when this comes out. And you didn't hear this when we talked on the phone the other day. But there is that idea. And I think that goes a little bit too. And I still haven't finished it. I've started it four different times. And Rich Adams is going to get mad at me, The Hungry Ghost. But there's that idea, I think, maybe in that book, and maybe not, but something we've come across in other places of whatever is over there needing to feed off the love and positive energy of the living. And there's this idea that I've seen in some of our research and the work that we've done that suggests that maybe this thing is trying to comfort you because that feeling that you give out, it feeds them in a way that they can't get from where they are. A lot of this stuff, if you talk to people who've studied it and who are mediums, will say it kind of boils down to energy and the basic level and that there's some kind of energy that's exchanged or that they can gather. And there is also something emotional about it. The other story that uh, I was telling you about earlier, I think I mentioned this on the show a long time ago, was a story that appears in one of Brad Steiger's books. I think it was Real Encounters, Different Dimensions and Otherworldly Beings, where a father had lost his daughter. And this years had passed and she just went missing. His late teens, early 20s daughter. And he was, of course, totally devastated. He had other family members living at the house with him and he just wouldn't get out of his chair for years and years, that kind of thing. And finally there's a knock at the door and he answers it. And the other family members don't see who's at the door. They see their father reacting to somebody there and they can see that he's being spoken to at the door. And he closes the door gently and he just bursts into tears and they ask him, dad, what's wrong? Who was that? What's going on? And it was the daughter. She had returned after missing for like five or six years, after no clue had been found of her. And he closed the door and he started crying because he knew that wasn't his daughter. And he wasn't, you know, a guy who was a ghost hunter and so he's knowledgeable at all this stuff. He just knew deep down, I so desperately want to see my daughter, but that's not her. So something is trying to maybe comfort him in a maybe a sick way, get a reaction out of him in a trickster way. Uh, yes, yeah, reminds me of the Arcapalooza story that was shared during our 100th episode, which we did two episodes, of course, because it's us, uh, for the, to celebrate that. But the story about the doppelganger yeah. that had looked like the sister, but the haircut was a little different. And Something's off, yeah. yeah. Physically, at least, with that doppelganger phenomenon. But I think in Dave's case here, what we just heard is some kind of emotional brotherly connection when they were close and that remains. And I believe you're totally right. That is something that's uplifting and heartwarming about that, that we all live on and our time here on earth is short, but we keep on existing in the internal. Yeah. And all your loved ones and your family and friends and everybody you care about is still out there somewhere. You may not see them for decades more, but they're still out there and you will all be reunited one day. Well, the only other thing I'll say about the Sally House is that it reminds me of Skinwalker Ranch a little bit, because I know we talked about everything in the paranormal kitchen sink, and what we've got evidence of now, or at least the stories that we've got about the Sally House, are that there's poltergeist activity, there's voices, we know that from our own tests, there's physical contact, there's spirit box type of interactions like what Dave got, and that was using the Ghost Hunter M2 app which we'll talk about here in a second. And then there was the dowsing rods, which if you watch this video, you know, you can't see that in our interview with him. But if you watch the video that the Dave Glover showed made, and we have a link to it for their trip to the Sally house, 
while he's getting those messages off the Spirit Box app, which was on Maria Miller's uh, iPhone, I believe, or her smartphone, whatever model it is, the dowsing rods that he had in his hands were going insane. Like he said, like a ceiling fan, it was they're going in opposite directions, like a Chinook helicopter. They're just spinning wildly. And you can look at his hands and see that he is not moving them. You can also see, and I thought this was interesting, what Rachel said, because, you know, they've been good friends for a long time. She pointed that out. They've been working together a long time. And she knew this story about his brother, Keith. And she was talking about how it was difficult to watch him deal with what was happening in the room. And it, just to have him sitting there when you see the video and you hear the words coming through and you know that it all connects back to his brother and the whole thing with, he didn't even get to ask the question about his brother's dog. And the answer came and you can see on his face where he's at and it's very intense and it's a very personal experience. And again, I thank him for coming on here to talk about it. And I think it's very courageous to not just to talk about it here, but to make a video about it and to continue to talk about it on and on because that's obviously, it's a sensitive thing. So, and that house, I don't know. It's kind of like Connor J. Randall said when he was on talking about the Estes method and specifically Stanley Park. It's like, you've got to be ready for what's going to happen. But on the other hand, that place in some way seems like it doesn't care whether you're ready. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you it, know. stuff happens when you're not, I mean, that's the feeling that I got, like, as I talked about in our Waverly trip is that I thought I was ready since the moment the ride to the airport showed up at my place and I like sprained a muscle, everything was off kilter. And I felt like I was catching up with everything, like scrambling to catch up. And I thought I was prepared and it was kind of the same thing when our Sally trip happened for ourselves. We kind of rushed over there. We only had a limited amount of time. We're meeting Maria there. And, and so there's a window of time. And, and then we have a whole gaggle of people there. There's Tess, Megan, your family is there. Your son is in the car. Yeah, because we were all in town for the Amelia Earhart thing. This is her hometown, by the way, where this house yeah. is. So like it's a few blocks from her where she grew up. Yeah, that's a little strange in and of itself. But yes. by the way, if you go to that house, there's a brick there, a paver oh, that's out right. in front of the house says Astonishing Legend. So look for that if you if you ever go to Atchison. Yeah, you can go see our names in a uh, brick font. In a brick, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, no, my point there was that I felt like we were rushing around and I didn't know what we were going to get. Again, nothing seemed like it was going to happen. I mean, Maria gave a really good tour of the place and explained the history. And so that was very worthwhile. And, and I was scrambling to get some video footage and you're excited, you're rushing around, you don't know how much time to spend there. And what you realize later when you do paranormal investigations is that you got to put the time in, like Connor J. Randall. You got to keep coming back. You got to keep revisiting it and putting the hours in. And so when you're rushing around, it's like, I don't know what's going to happen here. And I don't know, maybe that's how Dave and his crew felt is that they were more prepared. They're a little more professional uh, media news gathering organization there. And they had a dedicated cameraman. And that's very helpful. And they were properly set up. And I think they were maybe more prepared and calm for something to happen. And maybe that influences the results a little bit. Whereas I thought we were just kind of running through the tour. And I think that also, though, added to your shock. Yeah, I agree. Well, it was more unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was. And and like I said a minute ago, <laughs> you know, it, it contradicts what Connor said, but the house does seem to pick on you if you're skeptical, I think. Because when I went in skeptical, Dave and I, I feel like after what he said too, I think he and I went in there in almost the same frame of mind. Yeah, I think so. No, you. the way he described uh, his outlook before that is just, 
openly agnostic in a way, in that you're not outright disbelieving in it or ridiculing anything. You're just open to whatever experience happens, and then you'll make that decision on what to think about it when it does. And then when it did, you're never really ready for that, I think. And that's why it's kind of shocking. And I saw something, if you watch the video, I felt something with Dave going on in a similar fashion. It's like, man, how do you process this? Because that was one of my points, and of course we discussed it, is that these EVP apps will start spitting out words. And if you watch the ghost hunting shows, the Ovilus and all these other devices will generate words. And maybe if you think it's being faked, you could pre-program them in to pop out at the right times so it seems like there's a conversation going on that's meaningful. But when you know you aren't, and you know that the experiment is genuine as far as you can conduct it, and the words start coming back that are in context, my point is, how many coincidences are too many? At what point is so much context and coincidence happening that you can't deny it? And if you continue to deny it, you actually start looking foolish, because at some point, there's a tipping point there, and it's all personal for every one of us. At some point, there's a tipping point where it seems to be undeniable that some kind of meaningful direct conversation and communication is going on. And I think at that point, when you realize for yourself, like, it's kind of undeniable for me, so then I have to deal with the implications of that. But let me ask you this, Scott. So I know Dave asked you, but you would not go back <laughs> for real? I can't see a world where I would ever go back to the Salyan. I just can't. <laughs> Come on, man. I really can't. What if we were close by? There's so many great places. That's another thing I learned about the Midwest, is that within a few hours of driving, there's so many great historical places. Well, you've already got us on the books for a trip back to Waverly in June, so it looks like I'm going to that. Didn't you buy me a ticket already? No, because you're, like, you're not going. Okay. Because I, I know you're... <laughs> I know your attitude about this. No, I might go to Waverly. I'm not saying I won't go anywhere. I'm just saying I'm not All going right. back to the Sally House. I'm not. I've seen it. And to quote Sir John <laughs> Gielgud and Arthur when yeah. he's sick, and I'm paraphrasing because he's talking about the doctor, but in this case, I will say, I have seen the Sally House and it has seen me. Yeah. That's the end of it. We're done. So, <laughs> right, well, but I'm open to you go back all you want. You and Rich Adam can go. You, Rich, Rob, everybody <laughs> we know. I don't care. Go ahead. You guys go. I'll sort through the dailies, the audio when you get back, but I'm not going. I see. I think from a field investigation standpoint, though, you like these places because more things do seem to happen with more regularity. And that is the strange thing about the Sally House. For a smaller place, look, Waverly's huge. It's a massive hospital with a lot of history behind it and was open for decades since the beginning of the last turn of the century. So you would expect a lot of different activities going on there spiritually. But the Sally House is just a family house for most of its life and had an average number of families living in it. And nothing really gruesome went on there, as far as we know. It's just for some reason where it's sitting on that piece of land, a good radio reception spot, you could say. It just gets a lot of stuff. So in light of field investigation terms, I think it's a good place to go back to because it seems more likely than others that you might be able to get some evidence there. But where I know you're going to be spanked next is the Velisca house because you mocked it. Oh, I'll go there. I'll go there. <laughs> oh, you will? Okay, yeah, there I'll we go. go. I mean, right. I'll, it's horrific, but I, I would go check it out. Interesting. I don't think there's as much activity, strangely, and something really horrific went on there. But again, this is not to make you the guinea pig, but if we did go back, I just remember you saying like, well, it didn't turn out to be that haunted. 
Yeah. And that's the attitude. That's what we're saying here. That's the attitude you go in. Yeah, but the Sally House is notoriously haunted. And Villisca, there's actually not a ton of stories. Well— The Sally House, there's stories for days. Y- yeah. The Villisca, it's, there's a few people that have told some stories. and But for the most part, it seems like it's really just a sight of something horrible. You know? Oh, my goodness, my friend. You were setting yourself up for a real scare here. Hey, no, I'll, I mean, you're right. Maybe that's a mistake to go in with that attitude, but— no. No, I, I think if you want something to happen, that's the perfect attitude because you're just now believing enough that it's possible and we get in there and something wants to make an impression on you. And that's the bottom line here, like you said, with the Sally House and even Dave's experience here is that it wasn't malevolent, but it's like somebody showing up in your bedroom wanting to communicate and not fully getting the fact that anybody showing up in your bedroom while you're sleeping is not welcome. <laughs> That you're not expecting to be there. Oh, so let me tell a quick story. Yeah. Something that happened to me less than, I don't know, 20 hours ago. Mm. Went to dinner last night with some friends. While I'm at dinner, I took my son with me. And while I was at dinner, these guys are there. One of them is a father as well. Actually, they're both fathers. And starts talking about Momo, not the Missouri monster, but this thing that happened on YouTube with this super scary character that would pop in and was telling kids to self-harm. It would be like in a children's video. And then this would pop in at the end. It was a very brief discussion at dinner, but my son was there and he heard it. And he got a little freaked out about it, or it didn't seem like he did while we were at dinner, but then we came home and we went to bed and he went up to his room or whatever. And he did say, oh, you know, dad, I'm I'm a little freaked out. I'm like, don't worry about it. It's nothing. He hadn't even seen one of the videos, uh, according to him anyway. And so we go to bed and then I'm sleeping and about 2.30 in the morning, I woke with a start to a small four foot, eight inch dark shadow standing in my room at the end of the bed. (laughs) Now, I just want to mention my house is two stories. My son's bedroom is way upstairs. Generally, he can't come downstairs. There's a bunk bed too. It's right above me. I can hear it. He can't get down there without me hearing it. I freaked out. I was like, what the, you know, and I I was like, (laughs) and I stared for a minute and I was like, am I seeing this? Or is this one of those things where like my eyes are playing tricks on me? It's a bit of a waking nightmare or whatever. And I swear I was looking at it for a good 30 seconds when suddenly it went, dad, I'm afraid of Momo. And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) I was like, get in bed. And he climbed Uh, in the bed with me. My wife's out of town. So he climbed in the bed and went to sleep. And I was like, I was kind of mad because I was like, don't creep around (laughs) at the end of the bed at 2.30 in the morning. What are you doing? Do you know know. what I do for a living? (laughs) Yeah, no, he doesn't really and shouldn't. But what's funny is that, yeah, as a kid, you don't know how to approach this. Like, do I shout? What's what's the best way to get dad's attention here? Yeah. (laughs) It's going to be creepier if I just crawl into bed. I should really announce myself. So I'll just stand here until he maybe wakes up and notices me. Wakes up and sees a dark shadow. Because that's the other thing. Like, you know, I've got my night vision is slipping a little bit. It works great, but it takes a long time to transition. It used to be like instant, but now it's like... So I'm just staring for, and he was not moving at all. He was dead still. And I was just like, is that a person? And also the small (laughs) height. I was like, okay, where's Whitley Strieber? Wait a second though. He he made no noise. You just happened to wake up. Nothing. You sensed a presence there. Well, I mean, maybe he made a noise that woke me, but I don't have a memory of it. I just woke, yeah, I sensed something. Right. And popped up and looked down at the foot of the bed and saw this thing standing yeah. My only regret <laughs> is he wasn't wearing a ghillie suit. Like, like you know, the, the, one of those uh, camouflage suits you see snipers wearing, uh, you know, that, are, that looks like Momo. Oh, yeah, uh, I can't. Like a little, a, a cute little Momo. Yeah, so that's one of my points here is that even if it's somebody you love and you're very familiar with, it's your family member, your son, your brother, a parent, 
we're not really comfortable with them showing up because we generally don't think that that's possible. <laughs> and you're in a very vulnerable spot. So when that communication does seem to happen, it's hard to deal with, even though it the intention might be one of comfort and ease and joy, but it's hard for us to process. Well, my thing is, when I look at this, I want to understand the big picture. Like, when you step back from this and you look at what happened to us when we were there and what's happened to lots of other people when they were there, what I want to know is how on earth does the Sally House open a line of communication between Dave and his deceased brother, Keith? Like, what is that? And if that's not what's happening, what is happening? And more importantly, why? What is the goal? And the other thing that's interesting to me, too, and we talked about this in the interview, is the apathy that we talked about that everyone seemed to have. There seemed to be confusion. People are remembering different details. Rachel had some memory loss about what was happening there, or their memories weren't all agreeing. If they didn't have stuff on video, it's the same thing with us. We remembered things differently, too, in the Sally House. We went back and looked at the video, and it's like, oh, it didn't quite go down that way. Yeah. There's this thing where every individual that's in the home is having their own tunnel vision type of experience that isn't necessarily what everyone else is seeing. But conversely, that may just be a result of analyzing what everyone's going through in a given moment in any situation, whether it's paranormal or not, because you don't often break down what everyone's experiencing all in the same moment. No, and that's a good point. And I think that there's a combination of things going on, and that just adds to the complexity of trying to nail this down and document it and classify it in a way. But I think at the Sally House, maybe what's going on a little is that it is that thin place. For whatever reason, that energy there, that contained house, is just an easy passageway for things to come through. And the resulting paranormal fog, as we said, and have experienced ourselves, is a condition of the place being thin, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. It, remember in Close Encounters, I was just thinking about this, where finally the ships are showing up and a voice comes over the loudspeaker like, be careful, this is a low gravity area. Yeah. It's like, be careful, you're going to be knocked off your senses a little. This is a low gravity area where we've never really dealt with this before. We don't know how to adapt to it. So watch your step. And maybe the result of being in these places is that there is a little bit of confusion and, and memory loss. On the other hand, I do think sometimes that's intentional by whatever's messing with us to confuse us. Well, I, I'd say to me, the Sally house seems to be so much more than Sally. In fact, that name doesn't seem right for it. It seems more like some kind of portal to the unknown. And I think there are two big takeaways from how Dave's experience interacts with ours. And that's that what happens there 1,000% depends on the person that the house picks out from the group that walks in there. And I think that can even go so far as to include nothing happening. I think when nothing happens, it shouldn't be a confirmation that there's nothing to the story. It's more like a cosmic diss. For whatever reason, it's choosing not to interact with you. But if it does well, then you better get ready because it's not interested in small demonstrations. It wants to take you from zero to 100 miles an hour in seconds, and you better hang on, especially if you're a skeptic, because I think one thing we all realized in this interview is that it's so intense and it happens so fast, you really can't process it while you're going through it. Well, guys, that brings us to the end of the show. We did get that clip of what Rachel heard on the stairs in the Sally House. She was upstairs in the nursery when this happened. And this clip just, I don't know, it, it gave me chills as well, along with everything else that happened to both of these guys while they were there and the rest of their team. 
this is pretty interesting to actually hear something coming up and down the stairs and her reaction to it. And the other thing I wanted to add was that when I first asked her to send it, she didn't send the whole clip. She thought she had, but then I wrote back and said, you know, at the very end of it, it sounded like there was another bump. Can you resend that? And she wrote back and was like, oh my God, you're right. There's so much more. I can't believe. And this goes back to that apathy and the memory loss we were talking about. She's like, I forgot how much happened and I didn't really realize it until just now. So anyway, here is the clip of Rachel in the Sally house. She's up in the nursery by herself. Everyone else is downstairs and she hears what she thinks is someone coming up the stairs. And we're going to go out on that tonight. This is the room we were in earlier and we were having all of that activity uh, with Dave's brother or what we think could be Dave's brother. And so I just walked, hey, who is it? Someone just walked up the stairs and they're not answering me. Guys. Um, Someone walked up the stairs and stopped walking and they're not answering me. opening and shutting. That's going to wrap up this week's follow-up episode on The Sally House. Special thanks to Dave Glover and Rachel Zimmerman for joining us. Find The Dave Glover Show at 97.1talkradio.com slash Glover. That's G-L-O-V-E-R. As well as wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure and check out their weekly segment, Paranormal Wednesdays. Please remember to support our sponsors. They help keep the show free and the lights on in Blanket Fortiana. Special thanks to John Bolin. Greetings, folks. This is Pappy Sasquatch, and you're listening to Astonishing Legends. Tonight's show was edited by Chris Potter at RumbleJar.com and co-produced by Tess Feifel, who is also our head of research. Our theme, which is available as a ringtone, was composed by Judson Crane, and our sound design and additional composing is by Ryan McCullough. Special thanks to the Astonishing Research Corps. But most importantly, we want to thank you, our listeners. Visit our store at AstonishingLegends.com or interact with us and other listeners on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also support the show at Patreon.com slash AstonishingLegends, where patrons have access to additional bonus content. No part of this show may be reproduced anywhere without permission. Copyright Astonishing Legends Productions. Good night. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.